1: On a terrible day for Tottenham Hotspur, one fan suffered more than any others. After kicking Aaron Ramsdale at full-time, he was now told he has to have a season ticket for the rest of his life. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the black man Twitter Yankee Gunner. That's right, true punishment to fit the crime. A man who attempted to kick Aaron Ramsdale and then fell on his ass has now been told he will have to watch Tottenham Hotspur play football for the rest of his days. And God knows you wouldn't want to do it because it is nasty, nasty shit. Uh, I know that... Richarlison did a lot of dancing uh, at the World Cup, did a lot of dancing. You know, we, we saw articles about who won the transfer window, the, the transfer 11. Richarlison made it into that. Uh, it turns out that he does have a specialty, and his specialty is absolutely losing his mind. Um, lost his mind at Tomiyasu on the touchline, lost his mind at Ramsdale, and I cannot wait for the FA charge. In a week when FA charges have been uh, have been on the docket, Tottenham Hotspur, your FA charge awaits. We shall see how that plays out. But that is just one small, small piece of what was a great day, a great day, a great day indeed for Arsenal, as North London is red. You know, Tottenham get battered everywhere they go, even when they don't go anywhere, they still get battered. They're just, they're just battered. It's, that's all they are. They should, they should chicken fry that cockerel on the on the basketball, and just you know, it should be, it should be chicken fried Tottenham. Cause then, cause you know, they'd be battered everywhere they go. It's uh, it's going to be a fun one. I think we're going to talk to Tim about the experience at the stadium. We're going to talk to Clive and Paul about the football that was played and the implications. I can tell you that we now, uh, by pretty much whatever model you look at sit in pretty, pretty, pretty good position title odds wise. There's a long, long way to go, but boy, does it feel good. And I, I think we should all spare, spare thought in this moment for a man who today Dons the saddest of Chelsea shirts, slumped on a couch, preparing to begin his career at Chelsea Football Club, having twerked to the point that he has a rough backside for Arsenal, and that is one Mikhailo Mudrik, who will not be joining Arsenal. And I say to him, uh, you have made a very, very poor choice, my friend, because we look really good and we look poised to be really good for a very long time. We got our, our, our just rewards, our desserts, our revenge for a game that was taken from us. Played at half strength at the end of last season, and we battered Tottenham, and we're here to talk about it with Tim. You can find him on Twitter, at Stilberto. Hello, Tim.
2: Hello there. Nearly. Stilminator. Oh,
1: God. You can find him on Twitter <laughs> at Stilminator. I'd been doing really well with it. You know what I'm most impressed with is when we did the the, the interview that we all did together at the artwork event, standing there, a few a few uh, glasses of whatever they were serving deep there. I got it right there. So, you know, I, I <laughs> Maybe will always that's the have secret. Moment. <laughs> That's the secret. Get a few glasses of something other than this strong coffee and my goodly morning mug uh, inside me. Uh, the phraseology there wasn't great, but okay. Uh, Clive's on Twitter. Clive BFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause.
3: Woohoo! It's a great day. It's a, it's great, a great day.
1: It's a great day. It is. I got the a-
3: arsecast stuck in my head. <laughs> the intro to the arsecast is fantastic today. Yeah. Um. On the list of things I will never be
1: as good at as Andrew. And it, it's a long one. It's like a scroll. One of them is like cutting up audio and doing all that mishmash audio stuff. Oh, that's great. Um, I think I've got him in the singing department. So if we need to sing an original piece of music, I, I, would, put, I would put myself up against him. But
3: Precision you know. diabolique was the phrase I remember from the intro section.
1: I, yeah. Diabolical I, I think, precision. Diabolical precision. We could all take, get that from Nodegard. context. All right. Look, l- l- we have so, 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 so much to get to. Uh, Tim, you had quite the double. You went to the Derby for the Women the uh, Arsenal-Chelsea match at the Emirates. Um, I'm sure there'll be more about that on the Arsenal women's podcast that you do, so I'll look forward to listening to that. But then you made the trip, uh, the short trip up the Seven Sisters to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to see where they play NFL and occasionally some Premier League football. Um, so just give it to us straight. The atmosphere, getting in, what it was like, mm. the joy, the singing, maybe the nervousness at the end. This was, you know, and it's funny, right? Obviously, I was in London this week. I had the opportunity to go to this game and I thought, I'm not extending my stay to go to an away North London Derby. Tim always talks about how nasty that game is and getting into that <laughs> game is. And you know, I, I'd be too nervous. I don't think I'd enjoy it. I'll save my keep my powder dry. I'm coming back for Bournemouth at home. A much lower stakes game that I can feel pretty good about. But uh, now I hate myself for all the decisions I've made in life. So so tell us how spectacular it was.
2: Yeah yeah I mean it it was incredible and um you you're right <laughs> Tottenham's Tottenham stadium is it's not re- well Probably one end of it is a football stadium. Don't get me wrong, it's it's really nice, it looks really nice and all of that, but like the sight lines where we were not very good, gradients not very good. The screen is absolutely enormous and actually quite distracting. And I, I do wonder if that's um that's a thing for the players as well. It's it's a screen that's designed for NFL and they play the game live yeah. on it. Um, so and, and there's only one bar in the away end and actually the, look I know the away bit is not the bit they're going to spend the most time on but the away concourse still very cramped one bar like it's as nice as it looks on the outside and as good as that one stand looks, the rest of it has a very like um, multi purpose entertainment arena feel to it. Um, but nevertheless, the, the actual atmosphere at the game. Do you know what was really, really strange? Was in the, oh, we were, a couple of us talked about this at half, at half time. In the first half, the atmosphere, I, I want to be careful about how I describe this in the away end, but like it wasn't as raucous as it usually is. And, and the reason for that absolutely is I, I'm beginning to see cause, this. Cause more. we knew
1: it would, cause we knew it would be easy because well, we knew it would be easy.
2: I'm, I'm <laughs> beginning to see more this season, us turning into a mini man city, you know? And you know, sometimes oh, no. like, and it, and it, it didn't happen this weekend when they went to Man United but you know over the last four or five years City go to United and you know City are much better than United but you go mm-hmm. well alright but it's a derby it's away, way United are going to be really up for it and then you sit down on your Sunday afternoon on the settee and you watch it and City just do 200,000 passes in the United half <laughs> and it's quiet as a grave that's what it was like it was it was like one of those City-United games that I've watched lots and lots of of over the years where we just had the ball and they were just sitting there watching us <laughs> and um and it's and, and I think also because the attacking was going to the other end so actually because the reason what separates the atmosphere in a derby is how much it matters everyone cares about this game more than they care about any other game and that comes with anxiety and so that comes with you know when the ball comes into your box like you say we play bournemouth at home if bournemouth put a cross into the box Like, a lot of people will be looking at their phones, quite frankly. Tottenham put a cross (laughs) into your box and everyone's fuck,
1: get away, get away,
2: get away! (laughs) And, like, it's the urgency. That's what makes a Derby atmosphere. And in the first half, there was no urgency in the game because we were absolutely just all over them and they were sitting there and watching us do it and and so that doesn't actually make for like a raucous atmosphere what we were doing was we were just going we got a score we're we're so on top we got a score and when we scored one we were like got to score again like that we're so on top of them and even after the second one i was like we got to score again like three nil at half time would not be an unfair representation of what's happening here and we all know what spurs are going to do in the second half what they do in every game mm-hmm. they only play in the second half but particularly in this game they're going to do that in the second half you've got a little bit more of that urgency in the atmosphere um, a little bit, because a few more of those nerves creeped in and all of that. But once it got to about 82, 83 minutes, I think everyone kind of, you sense that the home team, the home fans have given up. You start to see them sneaking out. And, and, then, it, and then it got really, really fun. And, uh, you know, like lovely rendition of Tottenham get battered um, and everything like that in stoppage time. And so it, it, was, it was actually quite peculiar. I've been to derbies where we've played a million times worse than this, where the atmosphere was a lot better because the game was more of a contest. Whereas this, th- this felt a bit like what Bournemouth at home should be, what Nottingham Forest at home was, you know? That's how it felt. And so it really, it was, yeah, it's, it's. we'll talk about this, but basically this was, particularly the first half, one of those maybe rare derbies where it's like, yeah, you take all the Derby out of this. This is exactly what this game looks like. This exactly represents the the football these teams play and where these teams are at.
1: Yeah, and, and I have to say, like, I had a lot on the line here personally because I gave it very large pre match to a lot of people in WhatsApp chats and on Twitter that I don't want to draw here. We're the better team. We play the better football. You know, I went big on Larice being a potential liability. That worked out all right. But like, I really felt that the anxiety around this game was understandable because it's the Derby. But in the context of these two teams and the football they play, the anxiety was not warranted. We played great against West Ham. We played great against Brighton. We played great against Newcastle out of the blocks. We blitzed those teams early. Newcastle, we didn't get the goal, and that was the difference, and their defense is pretty robust and i don't want to act like spurs didn't play their part in this game and we'll come to that as we get to the little bits I, I took notes in this game and my opening note you know i kind of set it up with like what my pre-match thoughts are and i just said spurs have kulisevski back rest of the team is shit and like it really really is and sar and Cessignon and and um uh what's his name the right right back i can't oh. think of it da- dowerty doughty Doherty, yeah
2: hoyberg I mean,
1: I mean, Eric Dyer, Dyer. like any, oh my God, he is
2: dreadful. Eric, Mm -hmm. Eric Dyer starts for Spurs in 2023. Like how (laughs) badly have they mismanaged their resources? Like, sorry, I don't want to turn this into the Tottenham podcast. They've got a generational pair of attackers and actually a good... Three, Kulisevski is one of the few good signings they've made. They could have challenged. They could have challenged the last few years. Instead, they've stuck eight very expensive slabs of meat behind them. And so now (laughs) Eric Dyer is still starting games for Tottenham. They have wasted tons of money and I'm very much enjoying watching them get their comeuppance for that.
1: Yep, I, I think that's ex- extremely well said. And Clive, right off the bat, you know, you, you have to, Arsenal's, I think that one of our USPs right now is we get out of the blocks fast. We show our intent quickly and we put teams on the back foot. And, and I think the, the deeper that front three of Spurs has to sink, the more trouble it's going to be and we got them pushed back we got them sinking deep and and they really really looked like they couldn't match our intensity they couldn't match the quickness just the way the ball was moving and the player for me who set this whole game in motion was alexander zinchenko i i marvel at the performance that this man put on in the derby stepping between two players He was right side of midfield. He was left half space in the attacking third. He was in the left back position. And I had concerns about his defending when we signed him. But he doesn't have to defend because he's so good at anticipating and and cutting off the ball and keeping the ball. Whatever you think of Kieran Tierney, who's an excellent player. I don't know that anyone's transformed us, even Gabriel Jesus, as much as Zinchenko in terms of the way we can play. What did you think of the way we just... Moved the ball so slickly, so precisely, so quickly from the very start. And and I'll give you what Mikel said. We came here to play in the same way we want to play. We have a lot of courage and determination with and without the ball. We showed a lot of quality. We showed the intensity requirement, and we were really, really at it in every single action.
4: Yeah, so how how I saw the game, right? So obviously for those who are watching Spurs a little bit, they don't start games very, very well. And I actually thought in this game, they tried to start well. They tried mm. to play out some territory. They tried to push us back. And then we got the ball. And when you get the ball and you move it around technically, you send a message by how you move it. And we did that for two or three minutes. And suddenly, all the engagement went away. And we are finding the weak parts of their team. And what's so disappointing about them is they don't re-engage you. They just fall away. Into a shape really, very quickly. And the more territory they gave us, the more able we were able to move the ball as we see fit and really punish them on both sides. I know Saka was really, really good, but I felt we built up a lot on the left hand side as well. And I felt an evenness about us and I felt a, a lack of redundancy about us. Everybody was in play, everybody was moving, everybody was in play, everybody was active and really at an eight out of 10. And that was too many for Spurs. They needed all of their boys to play above themselves and they weren't able to. And so what I really liked about this was not... I thought the front three were massively intense off the ball. I thought they really set the tone. Their work statistically on the ball may not look good but off the ball I thought they were the leaders I thought they really set it they really set the tone to me and they unsettled the goalkeeper unsettled their backline, and that allowed us to play in the spaces which they gave us and also they affected the, ex- the exit pass which means it dropped down to us to our backline. we get it we gain off we go momentum 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 territory 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 control 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 but what I like within that I thought there was a pace management to the game. I didn't see it as a massively intense half. I saw it as a, a game that we were intense when we needed to be, when we felt we had good, good possession. But when we need to slow down, we can slow down. And I felt the team quite smartly left some energy for the second half, which they knew was coming. I really felt mm. that. It wasn't all out. It wasn't that. It was it was thought through. It was considered and I love that pace management, but also it's so important that you execute when you have those moments. And we executed twice and it should have been three. Tim's right. I was thinking three. We need three. We're not at least a lot alike. They get one goal at the right time, and Sesame on shot could have gone in. And it's all on and you won't be able to hear yourself thinking that ground. That is just how it turns very, very, very quickly. So I wanted three, but I was also conscious they were managing the game really, really well. And I think sometimes when when you're playing football how you carry yourself is very important. And if you look at a lot of our players now, their their maturity and assurance in possession, and just how they carry themselves in the duels, is really instructive. If you want to see, you want to an example of a duel when somebody really wanted to show that I'm a, I'm here now, was and Dzeko tackle in the right hand corner with, near Ben White he smashes, I think it was Cessignon, and he smashed Mm -hmm. him said, yeah, you lot think I'm the weak point, you lot think I shouldn't be here, well I'm here, and you're having this, and I loved that message he sent, and there were so many of those messages around the pitch, and this is a soft factor stuff, which allows you to dominate teams, Elliot, that first half, was as good as I've seen this Mm -hmm. season, because of the environment we played in, and where it was, what was at stake, Pressure around it. What happened last year, that was as good as I've seen this season for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm just struck by what an amazing job Mikel Arteta has done because when I watch this half, the distances are immaculate. You know, the ball comes in to party and he's under pressure and he has the skill to wriggle out of pressure, but he also doesn't have to because three feet to his left is Zinchenko. Three feet in front of him to his sort of in the right area is Odegaard, right? He's got Ben White just to his right. He's got two ball-playing center backs behind him. He has all the options. No one's more than three yards apart. The ball makes its way to Zinchenko. He carries it forward two feet, and there's Shaka to give it to him if he needs it right? There's Martinelli making the overlapping or underlapping run to play it through. Eddie and Kedia dropping in and everybody just rotates around and, and the whole system just rocks from right to left and there's such ease of movement. And actually, if I had to pick a difference first half to second half, I thought we were going first time in the first half and second half with the little bit of the nerves and knowing what we had that we wanted to hold on to. Every touch was just a little longer, right? So it was one touch, one touch, then pass as opposed to First time, first time, first time. And maybe that's just the reason we struggled to play through them a little bit more. When you know what's at stake and what you've got, and you just want that clock to tick. Um, Paul, early on, a couple of moments. There's a big Eddie and Nketiah chance early, and it comes from the press. And, and the thing we know is that back line and that goalkeeper are liability. And I think a person who deserves a lot of credit, by the way, is Eddie and Nketiah, whose pressing has gotten a lot better. But in this case, it's Martinelli. He closes down. And then Odegaard is right there snapping at heels. The ball is given away. Back to Martinelli, who comes up with a pretty clever over his head. Martinelli did a couple of interesting uh, um, little party pieces in this game. But the one, if you haven't seen it, just go look up the video. There's a long switch of play to him on the left flank. And he, what do you say? How do you, He controls it with his back. Like, he's absolutely taking the piss at Spurs' ground. He, he controls chests it, with it
3: to the ground with his back. Yeah, he uh, chests it
1: down, but with his back. I mean, it's the most Brazilian thing he's done since he's been at Arsenal. Just, just bizarre and beautiful. But, yeah, and then Eddie, Eddie arrives at the perfect moment. I think Eddie's unlucky in this game. Look, I've always said it. Strikers who get shots off in the box are going to score. He had five shots from inside the penalty box for 1.2 expected goals in this game. It just didn't quite happen for him, and I know... There's because he's under so much scrutiny. If we hadn't won, there'd be that oh, Eddie blew it for us because he had two monstrously good chances. But Lloris does well to smother. But that's the early, that's the early chance, and I think it sort of set a tone. And and after that, we really got on top of them.
3: Yeah, the first half we were basically battering them at will, which is mm-hmm. how I like to batter people. <laughs> um, like we they had three in the back line, but they ended up having five in their back line, and still Saka. And Martinelli had space wide, and still Saka got to isolate Sessignon on a regular basis. Um, w- we kind of got them whichever way. Party with a ball over the top to expose them so that Sessignon got punished every time he pushed forward. Mm. Um, I think Party was a big piece of this with Zinchenko. But the two of them are so fluid, the two of them can spot the passes. And again, make those passes at will. Party he had a couple of dodgy moments, but over when he wasn't, when he didn't have a couple of dodgy moments, he was busy being sublime. Can I just uh, say
1: something about that, just real yeah. quick? Because both Zinchenko and Party had giveaways that could have cost us. Zinchenko had one yeah. right on the stroke of half time that nearly mm-hmm. led to the penalty that VAR overturned. They couldn't even get their jammy penalty. That's how much they suck. But the reason I bring it up is party and Zinchenko having that giveaways is a byproduct of their willingness to be vertical and progressive in their passing and try the hard passes. You get nowhere if all you do is play the safe pass. So I I'm willing to, to make that trade off, you know, anyway, go ahead.
3: Yeah. And then like, you got to show a little leg, you got to take a little risk. Um, yep. y- you're basically inviting the other team to play a little bit too. I mean, if they, if all you do is have them sit back, uh, not saying you make a mistake deliberately, like you like to be imperious and perfect, but, Like, uh, one of the moments is uh, party dallies on the ball and they press him quickly and he manages to get it off, I think, to White or Saliba and they work it around that guy and down the pitch. Well, um, that's that's part of the I'm vulnerable come for me. But in one way or another, it worked for us that we took those risks. Uh, This was another game, like the... There was a sign put up in the dressing room. We'll, many of us will have seen it at this point. It said identity. It looked like something from maybe not kindergarten, maybe a few years after that. But basically Arteta has been at, at the artwork again, freshening up his routine in the pre pregame uh, talk and uh, printed up something. And it reminds me of what, it's, it was the word identity and it was made up of the players, <laughs> the cartoons of the players or photos of the players making up the letters, I-D-E-N-T-I-T-Y. I don't need to tell all you guys how to spell identity, but there all the players <laughs> were in the letters. And it's like, it's kind of naff, but naff, as we've learned, is good. It's simple. People know what you're talking about. The players, the players are not. F- Looking for all these complicated instructions before the game starts. The you're you trying to was, tell
1: me the players don't want a Twitter tactico coming in and giving them a 45 <laughs> tweet thread read out before the game? No,
3: <laughs> no, that's that's where you pour into their muscle memory into their yeah. head. You give them one thought that not only they know, but they know everybody else is thinking too. Yeah, like give them ten instructions. They don't know what the other bastards are thinking about which of the which of the te- which nine of the ten they've forgotten. So. Give them one message, and that message is identity. When when Eddie was asked on a podcast last year, out of the blue, they asked him. uh, We hear a lot about Arteta's non-negotiables. What are his non-negotiables? And he was kind of he was slightly thrown off that anybody would ask that question because it it just seemed to him obvious, but not to the rest of the world. He says, um, "Follow the rules and play with our identity on the pitch." two things and like he moved on and like to him it was the simplest thing in the world and here like why were we not you and i elliot not terribly uh shitting the bed over this game because you can close your eyes and listen to a radio commentary of arsenal playing hear the names and know who's where and what they're doing like yeah. we have an identity you might hear we're not it it's not a good game for us and some things. You know, we're not firing. But outside of that, you know, if we're firing, you know where these yeah. guys are, what they're doing, how they're playing. Uh, they know. The uh, opposition knows still can't stop it because patterns. Zinchenko yeah. popping up left, then popping over r- up right. The eye-catching thing is, oh, look, Zinchenko's over the right-hand side of the pitch because basically everybody else knows their spots. But he's kind of the freest of the free men. Um, mm mm-hmm. And I do enjoy it when he shows up on the right because he's there for Divilment. Um, I just love, I like, I agree with your initial premise, Elliot, that you felt good about this game. We got the better football. The only thing that makes you nervous in a game like this is there's always a red card, there's always a penalty. They have those things called referees and VAR decisions and weird shit that goes on. Yeah. But like, team, if you can take all of that out and it's literally two teams playing football, we're. We're not just a level of... To know you to win beyond. the NLD, yeah. you have to be more than a level. We're two, three levels above these guys.
1: Look, it's been since 2014, and we've had better teams than Spurs at other times since 2014, and we did not win at their ground. So you're right. It's more than just the quality. But I, I think every time there's been a test this season where someone said, this is where they come unstuck. This is where we're going to see the fragility. This is where we're going to... I mean, people were trying to latch on to a scoreless draw at home to Newcastle as the sign that we weren't going to do this. And it's just, at some point, you passed every test. The test was chelsea away or it was liverpool or it was spurs at home or you know i mean the only one the united away ironically var has told us they screwed us in that game they've literally told us we got that one wrong the one call that cost us that one loss um otherwise we'd be invincible again um anyway tim i i do want to get your thoughts having maybe more of a bird's eye view on the zinchenko thing though because i this is this is really the crux of it for me if you ask me what is the single biggest difference in our in our game this season to last season right now the way we're playing it's what he's doing because yes Jesus has been transformative but he's not playing right now and we still look like we've looked I don't know that there's another player who can do quite what he's doing in terms of all the areas he can operate and it, 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 there's I said this on the instant reaction but it's not just that he's a pass master he will carry it beyond a defender if there isn't an obvious progressive pass he 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 provokes the, the other team to come out of their shape. And you have to do that to find openings. I, I'm i just marveling at what he's doing. And because he doesn't make the last pass, I think these players sometimes fly under the radar, right? But you can't call him a left back. I don't know what you call this position, but he's playing it in a way that I think has, has allowed us to take the game to the level we're at right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's very Cancelo at City, isn't it? Although, in, yeah. in this... In a slightly different way, I don't think Cancelo has as many touches and things like that. It's just he's not really a left mm. back, and he's almost like a freelance footballer somehow. Just I will pop up where I'm needed, kind of thing to to always, you know, create that pass for someone else. And I, I was looking, um well, I was writing an article about Gabriel last week, and I was just looking at the overall, just like glancing. I was trying to find some stats for Gabriel, and I was looking, and like touches in the middle third. Like Zinchenko's way ahead of everyone <laughs> in the Arsenal team. And obviously we all know what he's doing, right? But like, that's still extraordinary that a left back is doing that. And um, it's it's just, you know, I've I've used this phrase a couple of times this season that there are some players that make the system and then there are some players who are made by the system um and 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 it's roughly half and half at Arsenal I'd say there are probably five players where you go they make this system work and then there are probably like five players where Mm -hmm. you go they're really good solid players but like the system maybe makes them look better which sounds like a criticism but I mean it's not really it's just like saying we've probably got like five elite players and five good players kind of thing he's he's one of the players who makes the system and like I, I really liked what um, Paul kind of said on the instant reaction because it's how I feel like about how he's never seen a player who can kill you with a with a sideways pass before, and it, it is totally that phrase that Arteta used last season after the Watford game where he talked about two hundred thousand passes in the opponent's half. I mean, about one hundred ninety five thousand of those as Inchenko, basically. Mm-mm, it's yeah. it's just really that kind of. He, it's almost like he teleports because you don't really see him running or sprinting. It's just, it's very like Mork and Mindy. <laughs> somehow he just like, he just appears out of thin air and there he is. to bump Well, it's off funny. You can imagine,
1: you can imagine Tim. I, I, ironically, I said something similar on the Instagram reaction because, when you're watching on TV, you can't see the whole pitch. So he literally appears in the camera shot, and you have yeah. no idea how he got there.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, ostensibly, he's past his midfield partner, right? That's that's what happens. That's mm, really yeah. the space he's in. But he pops up everywhere. He's just basically he's always the spare man. That's effectively what he does. Mm-hmm. And in this game in particular, where Spurs not only played two midfielders, but their midfielders were Hoyberg and Saar. I mean, come on. And he, he basically, he just always gives us an overload. That's what he is. He gives us the overload in whichever area we need the overload at any one time. And he just pops up where he's needed. Like a, I don't know, like you work for a company and you need a job doing and you get a contractor in. <laughs> he's just like, he's just like a constant contractor. <laughs> um, and yeah, and, yeah. and the, the other thing it's, it's made me do is like, and I, I kind of... Uh, don't do and don't like this but like when I watch Tierney play there like I, I'm, I'm being really harsh on Tierney now when I watch him there are a couple of times against Oxford where he just walloped the ball out of play and I was like <laughs> yeah. no that like you, you I'm sorry you can't do that anymore in this position because like you're competing with like one of the best passers in the league so like you, at the very least you've gotta try <laughs> and like you can't just run into the <laughs> center circle and smash the ball out of play like you cut like you're not playing for Celtic anymore, and unfortunately you're not playing for Arsenal. 2019 or 2020 model anymore like this is upper level what Zinchenko's doing and he's Mm. just it's, it's, it's quite simple to see isn't it really when you think about it like we all saw improvements last season we all liked what we were seeing then Saliba Zinchenko and Jesus came in and they've all just brought it up a level in their, in their respective areas. And and yeah, Zinchenko, I tweeted this last night, I can't believe we wanted Lissandro Martinez ahead of Zinchenko. Like, that. that's what. how amazingly has that worked out. And, you know, he was constantly, particularly, yeah, yeah, like particularly in the first half where he was playing, like nominally near us in that corner, he was constantly coming past and, You know, it was, yeah, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible performance. He's, he's brought us up a level.
1: Yeah. I think that's well said. Um, and I just, I wanted to make sure we focused on him a little bit because I think in a game where Saka created a goal and Odegaard scored and party was running the the show in the midfield and Rams Ramsdale had saves that we're going to be talking about. It's easy to look past the guy who enables everything, but I, I don't, I don't think we should be looking past him because put, put this in your mind. Try to picture that game plan and that performance with Tierney instead of Zinchenko. And again, that's not a knock on Tierney. It just changes everything you can do. So I think you have to praise it. Clive, let's go, let's go through a couple of the, a couple of the critical moments um, from, from this game. And, and one of them is obviously the opening goal. Party has his, his fingerprints all over both goals. He floats it over the top um, to, to Saka. In this case, Saka comes in and he fires what I think is intended to be a, a cross, but it, hilariously slaps Lloris like in the hands and face and goes in. It just feels like lately the first and most critical action of every game, the player that's getting us off on the right foot is Saka. He takes so much responsibility and he's still the player for me that I want the ball at his feet. When it's at his feet, I feel safe. I feel confident. I feel like something good is going to happen. He's taken immense responsibility here. And, um, you know, while I realize he's gotten a little luck, he he almost feels like a second captain in addition to Odegaard in the way he takes responsibility to to get us off on the right foot in games and and, and set us off on our way.
4: Yeah, I, I know that when you do this, you you sometimes want to point out individuals, but I can't help but look at this from a from a unit Elective. perspective, from a team. I, mm-hmm. I I can't help but do it, and I I think it's really important. You use the word enablers there. I think there are a number of enablers on the pitch, right? So, for example, Ben White. Enables Zinchenko to play where he plays. The fact he's multi-purpose could be a centre-back, could be a centre-back in the three, be a right-back. There's many different things that allows that rock around. You know, Shaka's positioning is enabled by the work rate of Zinchenko behind him, party behind him, and the work rate at the front three. And Party gets the room because the front three are pinning five people back. And then they're they're worried about them, so they, they don't want to leave their posts. That means we have more people in midfield because they're doing the work of, of of five men basically. And and these things all enable, you know, the executioners and Odegaard and Saka are the executioners, right? They're the killers. Mane is not doing that quite at the moment, but he's very close to to breaking out to do that. And they're the killers, so, so they have to be enabled to execute. And and Saka's always the one, isn't he, that steps forward first to for me and. um and it's quite interesting to listen to I uh, a lot of Spurs content in the lead up and the since. You know, there's some great channels, uh guys. Some great channels. Really <laughs> good nice day for it. <laughs> really I well, know, genuine, generally nice football people, just like us. They're football fans just like us and they're hurting, right? Mm-hmm. And they but sometimes you learn about your you learn about your own team through other people's eyes, and they yep. were petrified of Saka. Petrified of him. They changed their team to manage him. Percy should have been playing; they couldn't pick him. Now we don't notice that, right? He's one of their best players. They couldn't pick him because they couldn't trust him. So rather than play Davis, they played Setyngon. He got he got roasted. He got roasted. He was scared. He tried. He's a good player. He tried, but he he was out of his he was out of his depth. And and it's just our poise and, and our ability on the board that just really impacted them. And uh, yeah, I. I I know what you're doing at but I just can't help but look at this whole unit, and it was the no, unit. You're right. You're
1: 100
4: right. It, it was the unit that made them step back. Everybody. There were two players coming into the game I was worried about, in Sleeper and Ramsell, But now, nah, then they were they were top as well. And again, you know, just I can't help but be honest about how I felt pre-game. I wasn't as confident pre-game. And then I just heard a Gary Neville interview, and he said he'd been around the ground talking to Spurs fans, and they were extremely worried. Right, and mm. and so, so yeah, we have our own worries, right? Because we're we're surrounded by non arsenal people, and we don't want to fall fat on our face, on our faces. But they were extremely worried, and I got notes today telling me that even at two 0 people were were ready to walk. They're ready to walk out because they knew what was coming. And so maybe we're overly nervous. Um, maybe we even mm. we are learning to appreciate the quality at the moment. Um, there are some risks there that we are carrying at, at, with the present squad. But hopefully we deal with it. If we deal with those risks, we, we've got a real chance, mate, a real chance.
1: Yeah. And I think honestly, we probably should have had a third and had we had a third, then I think it goes to four or five, six, but something about it just being two at halftime. I think we played just a little more conservatively second half. I think Spurs had their tails up just a little bit to try to get back into it. Cause that's what they do. Let's face it. Our lack of a player to bring in off the bench to go push for that third goal, fourth goal. I mean, you know, I don't want to bring us down on a day after we've just won the Derby way. So I don't want to focus on it. That's a conversation maybe for Thursday's pod. And by the way, we will be rewatching this. Clive and I are going to rewatch this later today, and we'll have the rewatch out tomorrow. So if you want to rewatch that first half with us, we'd love to have you. But like, I think, like Paul, I, I think we we had just enough today, right? And and uh, well, not today, but yesterday. I, I think we will eventually need more. As this season goes, and Mikel's been clear he wants it to be more. And, and whatever your take on whether we shouldn't or shouldn't have done Mudrick, there'll be the need for more. But for right now, this tiny, tiny group we have is getting it done. And, and I think Clive's right to call it a collective. It, he's right. Like in terms of conversation, I find it easy to point to specific performances, but it is <clears throat> it is really a collective. The, the second goal, you know, again, talking about the collective, Saliba who I think was back to near his best, which was really important for us and great to see because that ca- that's going to carry beyond this game. Saliba heads down, but not just down or out. He heads to Party. Party has three Spurs players around him. He pirouettes and pokes it out to Saka so that that can set us on our way. Saka slides a perfect pl- ball across to Odegaard, who fires it in the back of the net. It's a similar type of goal to what we saw Party score I- in the home derby, right? And by the way, I, I would I would pay a lot of money for that party volley to have hit the back of the net because that might have ripped through the net, through the back of the ground and gone all the way back to the Emirates. Um, and, and what a statement that would have been. But th- this is a thing that we seem to do. When we get the chance to counter, we break out, we get it out to Saka or we get it out to White on the flank. And there's that sort of supporting run right there in the half space that you know, you slide that square ball through and there's a, there's a shot on from the top of the box. And we do that quite a lot. Odegaard scores. He had actually taken a similar shot earlier that was well saved by Loris. Do you think that goal sort of sums up the the quality of the performances from Saliba to Party to Saka to Odegaard to really be the one that I think made the result assured at that point?
3: Yeah, it does. Um, these guys, like there are phases in all of these games now where the ball just keeps coming back to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we press them in their third. We get the ball back. Uh, we go again. And this was one of those periods in the game where, like, L- Loris has done a long clearance because we're pressing everybody uh, in the middle third to the halfway line. And he's like, I-, I got nobody to pass to. So he does an old-fashioned lump it down, down the pitch. Um, and our our two centre-backs, like... What we're talking about the team and, and the units and the integration of it, like one of the reasons I wasn't afraid of the North London Derby is our two centre backs in white. That three at the back, the pressure that builds. Like one of our comparisons, thoughts, concerns is that our rivals in this are Man City in going for the title, and they got so many brilliant players, but I don't really understand their back line. Like uh, Pep has his whole thing and it works for him, but like you sense vulnerability there anytime things aren't really clicking for them. And you look at our back line, even on a bad day, our back line is intimidating. Saliba and Gabriel Magliash and White is formidable. And if there's any issue with that, you bring on Tommy Yasu in one of the positions. I mean, you can have a back four of basically guys who can play center back, and who can attack, mm. and who can kill you by spinning and, and dribbling upfield, Saliba, White, Tommy Yasu. Um, and that pressure means it's always coming back at them, and it's always coming to party, plays a, a key pass in that move for the second goal, Saka, Odegaard, bang, you're in again. And it's just wave upon wave in certain phases in, of games. Uh, it means the reason you can go with a fast start with these This team is because the the centre-backs can push up so high with such confidence and know Son and Kane aren't going to hurt them. Um, And everybody else can then relax into their position. They don't have to keep cheating back to cover for the counter. Um, It it is the three kind of layers of this team. The defence, the midfield that'll kill you, the attack that'll take you apart. Uh, but in many ways, the thing that allows us to play with what's basically now the highest uh, defensive line in the league is the strength of that back line, the confidence, their ability to quickly distribute, get it to party and bang, party's going to kill mm-hmm. you. Zinchenko's going to kill you. Get it to Odegaard. Uh, that midfield three or four, the quiet game Chaka plays to kind of fill in the gaps. He's kind of, has kind of gone back to that complementary role. It's like,
1: oh, yeah. but he was he was brilliant in this he game. Was uh,
3: he was and by the way,
1: you call it a complimentary role. If Eddie and Kedia has a better first touch on the counterattack in the seventieth minute, when Sha- Shaka has the pass of the game, like that goes from being a complimentary role to being an Odegaard esque assist. If Eddie can get his first touchdown and slot that, so and that's not a knock on Eddie. It's
3: just wow, was that that was he he had some really really eye catching moments in this too. He does, but but it's. It's a bit like my Willian triangles. Like Mm -hmm. I just go to watching Shaka sometimes in the quieter, the games where he's perceived to be quieter, and just Mm -hmm. see that he's doing this complimentary thing of leave party with the dance floor, leave Sinchenko doing his things. Where do I need to be to keep things ticking along and to cover the counters? Um, I, I just felt the second goal was like we were on this tilted pitch where everything was going to come, <clears throat> keep coming back at Spurs, whether they liked it or not. They they now had five in their back line, not three. They couldn't get out. They couldn't make anything happen. Um, and it's the layers of that team, the, the back line, in particular that back three, because Inchenko's floating around midfield, uh, the freest of free men. Um, it was beautiful.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, to to, to the Shaka point, right, For a long, long time, I think all of us said about Shaka, the problem is the whole team goes through him. Number one in passing, number one in touches, right? Number one in all this stuff. Now he's a distant fifth in touches, fourth in passes, but he's completing 98% of them. He misplaced one pass in the North London Derby, right? He's creating, providing assists. He's dropping back to rescue players when they've been pulled out of position and he has to drop back to fill in. And oh, by the way, you know what he's getting right? He's getting the attitude right, the mental side of the game. Shaka used to play with this heat and passion and emotion and fire, and he still does, but he plays with the right amount of it. He, he really seems to have found where his anger and his, his passion can help the team, but where that line is where it doesn't hurt the team, although it did give us one of the funniest moments I've ever seen in my life, which is Mikel Arteta big shit-eating grin on his face, walking Ramsdale away from the fan who had kicked him and away from Richarlison, noticing Shaka's gone back to have a nibble and sprinting back to go get Shaka to make sure nothing goes wrong. Maybe his his finest moment of the day. Um, Yeah, just a beautiful thing. We need to get to Ramsdale, obviously, because, like Tim, sometimes I think when your keeper has to make saves, people use it to say you didn't play well or something like that, but... Like, your keeper is part of the game. I think Spurs would love to have had Ramsdale in this derby, but we had Ramsdale and they had Lloris, and that is a big advantage arsenal. And mm-hmm. i it's a position I somewhat ignore because I tend to think if you play the better football and you're the better team, that ultimately your keeper will be a sideshow and you'll go out and you'll win the game without him. But... I'm starting to reevaluate that because this could have very easily been one of those games where we outplayed Spurs and we walk away saying, how is it we're not winning this game? And the reason we are winning this game is because of Aaron Ramston.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing. If you're a good team, that shouldn't happen every game. In fact, it should probably only happen once every four or five games. True. But mm-hmm. that's, that's a lot of points that your goalkeeper can win you. Um, You know, look, if you're in the relegation zone, you need your goalkeeper to do that all the time, basically. But if you're a top team, only once in a while. And it reminds me of the conversation we had about Gabriel after Leeds away on a day when we weren't very good and we needed to grit it out. And Gabrielle was the one who was like, okay, this is my type of game today. Um, you know, and, and he came out with the, with the kind of man of the match performance. And, and this time it's been Ramsdale. And I, and I do think, I think there are so many sides to this. I think, first of all, this is his type of game as well. He's mm. spoken about how he feeds off the energy of the crowd. And he's spoken about how he likes engaging with the crowd because that's a motivator for him to keep a clean sheet and to, you know, and so obviously like, and particularly in the second half behind that enormous one-tiered Spurs stand, I mean, I, I bet he loved that, but that's all soft factor stuff. Yeah, he he made some really really good saves, some really critical saves. He's also such a valuable part of the way that we do actually play football. So mm-hmm. even on those days when you know he's a bit of a spectator or we don't really need him to fling himself around the goal, he still contributes so much to the way we play. And I, I feel like for such a young goalkeeper, I feel like his judgment is so good. I think. Um, listen, everyone will be listening to all of the podcasts this week. I know I will. I've got about another five queued up <laughs> for tomorrow. So, but I thought James made a really good point on the ask cast when it's like, how many proper Ramsdale howlers do you remember? Like, not that many. And even even like the best goalkeepers, I remember when Alisson first signed for Liverpool, and he made a really big mistake when Liverpool, I think, drew with Leicester, and Klopp said something like. Yeah, he'll do that once a season and this is his one, but he'll do so much more for us. And I remember being astonished by this statistic from last season that um, the only team who conceded more one-on-ones than Norwich was Liverpool. And Liverpool do that intentionally because they back Alisson so much in that situation. And, like, I'm, I'm not saying he's quite there yet or that we should go to being that cavalier, but Liverpool weren't always that cavalier. It took them time to really build that kind of trust and go, okay, we can leave our defence open because Van Dyke will get there. He'd like, if you can beat Van Dyke and then Alisson, and again, this is not a contemporaneous example given mm. the season they're having. But for the last few seasons, that's what it's been, right? It's been like, well, if you're lucky enough to beat Van Dyke, Allison's right there. And I feel like Ramsdale's becoming that goalkeeper because he's only 24, which is like that's a baby in goalkeeping terms. And yeah, I, I think I think he plays on the line really nicely. He doesn't give me the Jens Lehman kind of yips where I'm like, yeah, you're probably going to get sent off. I don't get that at all. No. Um he's got the right balance between bravery but not being stupid. He's cavalier without being like over like he, I just think he's really judicious with the way he keeps the goal and and the way he distributes the ball. He has a much better feeling compared to when he first arrived for like about the temperature of the game. Like when do I clip the ball out to my fullback? When do I play short? And when do I go, do you know what? Actually, I catch the ball, I fall on it, I wait fifteen seconds, and then I cannon it up the pitch. He's got a much he's got a really good feel for the game. And like, honestly, when you consider his age, he could he could go to the absolute top um in goalkeeping terms. I really think that.
1: Uh, the funny thing is, the sa- so the most important save he makes, in my view, is the save on Sun in 18 minutes. We've had If we've had a bad habit this season, you guys, we've conceded too many goals right after scoring. Right? Like where you just need to, right, just keep the game. Like the one that really comes to mind is United away, right? Didn't they get the lead back right after we'd equalized pretty soon after? And I feel like if we had just held that game for a bit, that our football would have taken over again and we could have won it, but we conceded quickly. Um, we did a little of that against Brighton away, obviously it didn't punish us. Look, we've lost once, So it's, this is not a big problem we're having, but I don't we did think it.
3: That's a, really a this year issue. I think that's a carryover from last year. Maybe it's a bit of a carry.
1: The United one have, is the
3: one that stands out for me. You yeah, know, that, Cause that we one. have the record for most number of goals in the first 30 minutes and least conceded in the first 30 minutes. And those, two things don't go together. Yeah, you
1: know where it goes together early, early in the season. Maybe I'm going back a little bit. But if you remember early in the season, we had some bad teams beat and we let them back in games after scoring a goal and having a quick concession. I mean, look, this also may be more feeling than data. I get it. But my point was That sun chance comes very shortly after we've taken the lead and you really want to consolidate. And I think it might've been offside, but I'm not sure. And I think those are hard ones for keepers to stay latched onto. Clive's shaking his head. It's not offside. I hadn't seen a review of it to a replay to let me know. So it's not offside, but I do think he makes the later run, right? Someone's offside and he, he runs onto it. Point is. Kuliseski's
4: offside. He steps over it and then he, and then he mm -hmm. pops it right, right to left. Good save.
1: And to be fair, we don't know what's offside because all you have to do is look at the Manchester Derby and like the worst not active offside call in the history of football. And Manchester, I guess, must be good again because the refs have decided to give them every call this season. So we're back to that, but that's another story. Um, but that that's that save's super important. The save, though, that I think is his best save of the game, and it's not it's not getting as much publicity as the Cesignon save.
3: Yeah, it's a, that's it's a, a world. It's
1: a it's stunning because it's a it's a reflex kick save, and it's not close to his body. so like if I put my legs at that angle, my groin would be laying on the spurs pitch, just like out of my body, ripped out, fallen on the ground, not not available for use ever again. so
3: like, like the leg yeah. out is great that's that's just good technique. He doesn't know where the ball's going when he decides to stick his leg out, but the flick at the last moment to catch the ball that's mm-hmm. that's worldly reactions.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, so, and it, it's all part of it, right? You have to you have to have your keeper make the key saves so that your good football that deserves to win can win because we know that Spurs, look, the irony is, you know who City's bogey team has been the last few seasons? Spurs. Look at the XG of the game Spurs have won against City. It's like 3.1 to 0.1 and Spurs have won. Why? Because they have good forwards who can score. That Kane header is a really good header. Ramsdale gets to it. That sun movement and shot, good, he gets to it. Sessegnon, good, that's it. That kills off the game. I want to talk a little bit more about the second half, about the gap, the distance between us and Spurs, where we're going, what we need to do in terms of strengthening the squad. I want to talk about the Tierney sub, which I think is a really interesting use of that player and one that might, might become important um, throughout the rest of the season. Uh, but look, we're getting, we're getting close to a critical, critical moment. It's a moment that we need to be thinking about and we can't just focus on the Derby. We have to focus on this moment as well. And that's Valentine's Day and how how your privates are going to look for the big moment. We need to know. We need to understand. We need to be aware. This is like if Mikel Arteta was here, you know, we need to have the heart holding hands with the brain, holding hands with the fans or whatever part of the fan it's holding in that drawing that he did. You know, this is, you got to bring it all together. You got to bring the romance You got to bring the thoughtfulness and you got to bring the smooth privates. That's the trio. We're not going to draw a picture of that though, but you get the idea. Because now with Manscaped, you can have the best Valentine's Day for you or for your partner. You could gift the perfect performance platinum package from Manscaped. What's in the platinum package? There's a Lawnmower 4.0, right? An advanced trimmer with skin safe technology for no nicks and cuts. It's waterproof so you can use it in the shower. It has a long battery life and wireless charging. Includes the weed whacker, which does your nose and your ear hair. I'm just going to say it. I'm at the age where that matters. And if you're at the age where that matters, it's important. There's also two free gifts, the shed travel bag and the anti-chafing boxer briefs. If you work out uh, and you, you find like bunching or issues, like I, I, I do a rowing machine and like my boxers, you don't want to know any of the point is the, I use the Manscaped briefs for that. Good enough? Good enough. No platinum package is complete without the ultimate hygiene bundle. So you get the premium body wash, two-in-one shampoo and the deodorant and much more the deodorants for downstairs area, not for the uh, underarm area. Okay. You get the idea? Do it now. It's a platinum package. You need to get it for Valentine's Day for yourself or for your partner or for both. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping with the code ArsenalVision. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. Don't know what that means. Don't want to know what that means. Uh, you know, it's all it's all good. It's, it's all good. And this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is online therapy. And, you know, look, I I just, I mean, I know we're all feeling really good about the football right now, but it's interesting to me how many people will come to me and say, you know, a nice thing about the podcast or something, but in their message to me, we'll say, I've been going through a hard time or I had a hard year. It's been, it's been a rough time for me. You know, there's, there's a lot of struggles going on. And I think we, we know when they're the big struggles, right? When they're, when it's depression, when it's crisis, But I think a lot of times we get to that place with a lot of little nicks and cuts along the way. And online, by the way, it can get nasty. Someone can say a harsh word to you. Someone can, you know, make you feel bad. And it sticks with you. You don't realize it's sticking to you and it builds up. The thing I love about going through the therapy process is it helped me get to a more stable ground so that the little things didn't start to add up. And I, I think you can use this as maintenance. You can use it as a way to work through what you need to do in life. And so a couple of things to know about BetterHelp. It is affordable. It is flexible. It is entirely online. You fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist. You can find someone who's a specialist in your area, right? So you can get the specific help you need. It can be confidential uh, with camera off. If you want it to be camera off or camera on, you know, a lot of people live in areas where they just don't have access to good mental health resources. Now you do. If you want to live a more empowered life therapy, can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. Betterhelp.com. That's com slash vision. You know what? Let me betterhelp.com slash vision. Yeah, that's it. Okay, good. Just making sure you know, it works. I just checked it. So you, you can use it. Uh, and you know what, guys, we're going to do just one more for you here because, uh, it is a big Derby day and I want to make sure that you have all the best products in the world. Um, you know, because you have the best football club in the world. Right. So these things all go together. And, um, and so we'll tell you about athletic greens, right? AG one from athletic greens. It is 75 high quality vitamins, nutrients, (laughs) that word didn't get me this time. It's not nutrition, you idiot. It's nutrients. Um, it is adaptogens. It is probiotics. Uh, if you whatever lifestyle you have, right? So if you're vegan, dairy free, paleo, sugar free, whatever it is, you know you're going to be good with it. Put a scoop in water every day. You drink water. You take it down. It's going to make you feel great. It's for energy. It's for vitality. It's for gut health. That's one of the reasons I went for it. Um, recovery and uh, aging, all the things, basically. I had a shelf of gummies. I'm sure these gummies weren't doing much for me anyway. Not very good for you. You can get rid of the gummies. You can take something that's less than the price of a fancy cup of coffee a day. Get everything you need all in one place. It's food-derived, right? Whole food-derived, so really something that your body can process. And if you do it now, you're going to get a free, comprehensive solution from your supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. That's athleticgreens.com slash vision. Check it out. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Now that, okay, Clive, uh, second half, I, I don't want to call it nervy because I, I don't think it ever got nervy, but I'm curious how you how you look at that second half in terms of the way we manage it. Spurs, you know they're going to do this. You know they're going to come out and, and really try to take take the game to you a little more in the second half. And the only thing, if I had a nitpick, is that I didn't feel we had quite what we needed to really punish them more in the second half. And I think as we go this season, we know that you know we're playing with an incredible team, an incredible squad, but we, we need a little more. Maybe we weren't close enough to smith Rose full fitness to get him on a little earlier because I thought Eddie was starting to fade. I thought Martinelli was starting to fade. I loved the Tierney sub. I love that role for him. We saw immediately how good his pressing is. I think he reco- I think he recovered the ball in a press like almost right after he stepped onto the pitch. We know he can do the overlaps. We know we can push people back. Do you think that's going to have to become a part a, a a string in our to our bow now in terms of how we manage the the balance of games? How do you think about the way we managed the second half and the latter stages of this game to keep it safe?
4: Yeah, I thought he I thought to maximize his resources. So he's looking at his team and thinking, how can I get the best out of this group? And I can I can repurpose Tierney, who started career as most left backs do, as a left winger. And um, so it's not a problem for him. Um pressing high, being in those areas out wide, it, it's it's just it's just twenty yards further up the pitch. So it's not it's not a drama for him, and he has the the, the movements come more natural to him to press in, press in behind, him. and and so that's a very smart use of of, of resources. Really, I, I just felt Spurs they're going to have their moment, and I, I sort of post at half time. We got to manage our jewels. You know, I use the phrase regain retain. Well, Arteta calls it manage to manage to regain. So that's his phrase, right? So same thing. Mm. And often when when Spurs were inaccurate. And then we had the ball, the call is like first two, right? You want your first two passes so you can get into shape. And on a couple of occasions, a couple of people just slop you on the first one. And then then you're giving it back to them. Then they're creating some momentum, you know? And Spurs do this really, really well. They create momentum, they score, and then then it's much like Manchester United do, they score in bunches, right? And that's why they can come back in second halves. So I was very conscious of that. And... And I was thinking, oh, we're falling into a trap. We're not, we're not making the right exit decisions. And they were, and they were gaining some territory. So I thought it's very useful that Arteta used here to help quell that. But I think we became more accurate. And this is why pace management was a big thing for me. We became more Mm -hmm. accurate. We sped up when we needed to. We went, clipped it long when we had to. And then we went backwards and around and slowed it down and got to our 20 passes and said, yeah, what are you going to do now? You know, and um, and so I thought we managed the whole aspect of the game really well, and I think we nullified their key people. So I'm, i have often I've been looking at a lot of analysis this weekend, and analysis of some of the pundits that we all know and love is so historic. They do everything based on history. They don't do enough based yeah. on what on what you're seeing. You know, so they think. Conte's this guy, he's done great things. Well, mate, he's not managing that team effectively. He's alienating players. He's not making anyone better. Yet you've got him on his pedestal. Did you
1: read Jonathan Liu's piece in The Guardian? I'd recommend it because it's a brilliant takedown of of Conte and and Spurs. I
4: I read some of that. and I've got it bookmarked because I was starting to read. I thought I need to absorb this properly. Do you know what I mean? Because the guy's a a genius, right? And, um, and, And I get frustrated by it. And even during this game, um, Kulosevsky, who I do rate, by the way, and I wish he was at our club, um, he, was, he, he moved Sinchenko a couple of times in, in physical contact. And the story was written he's going to dominate us. Well, no, he didn't dominate us. He wasn't fit enough to play a full game and he got dominated. You know, and I think, I, I do think that there's something to be had here. I, I, I do get frustrated that people are not seeing what's happening with us. Not seeing our growth potential, and Tim spoke about Ramsdale being a young goalkeeper, which he absolutely is. But let's just get this right in our heads, right? We are the youngest team in the Premier League with the youngest manager, and we are top of the league by eight points. And all I want to talk about is us standing around referees when we make a penalty appeal. I mean, when this is this is not good. This is not good. This is not good assessment, analysis of the football that we're playing. We're not perfect, but hold on a minute. We got we got two academy kids in our front line. You know we're not perfect, but we're trying to do things the right way. And I and I find it Pretty incredibly close. frustrating. <laughs> incredibly <laughs> frustrated how we proceed by people who should know better. You know, they should know better. And I. I are oh, they've just come across something for straight <laughs> they should know better no, I,
1: I, well, I, I mean th- they, sh- they should know better but but Clive also, I think the the narrative about Arsenal, I mean you, you still hear dumb things like they don't like it up them or you know they try to walk it into the you know like people just they develop a trope about a club and it sticks for so long, Clive, you know
4: yeah absolutely so I'll give you another example of how we should react so there was a phase at the start of the season where Saka was getting booted off the park right and and I funny enough it was at the Chelsea away game that you know Tim couldn't go to so I got his ticket right? so so I was there and I watched how we resolved that problem during the game and how we passed to him rather rather directly to him we passed two yards inside and he ran onto it and and I thought, this is just a smart way to take away the collisions. And I've watched it since, and that this is what we're doing, and it's very prevalent in this game. So rather than bleat to the press and say, we need protection, you know what, we just solve it by our football. Has anyone spotted that in in the general analysis world of the pundits, etc.? No. Has anyone spotted that we've barely had a red card this season? No. They just it's, They're just not seeing what's happening. And I, and I get frustrated by it. I get frustrated by the fact that these young players, the young players in this group, are doing what they're doing. And I, I don't know if you guys would listen to Ian Wright's um, Wright's House podcast. He did a wonderful section on how the press treated Emma Cardu, and he said a line there is in an, an analysis, and he sort of said, "What is it with our young, with our media, how they have our?" they don't really respect young people when they're overachieving, paraphrasing. And I feel that about Arsenal. They're not respecting the youth of the group and how we're overachieving. And they should be using this as an inspiration, not as a way to cut them down. And I find it very frustrating. So I'm a bit frustrated at the moment. So if it comes across, it took you off peace. But I think it's something – it's probably a reason why podcasts like ours that are sensible about the football – most of the time (laughs) sensible about the football (laughs) do quite well because people are sick and tired of that, of that lazy, poor historical analysis. It doesn't allow for evolution and progression and development. And I I don't notice it quickly enough in my opinion.
1: Well, they're going to be forced to notice it now because we are absolutely (laughs) going to go on and win this title. Paul, what do you, what do you got to add to
3: that? Um, yeah, uh, I I see what Clive's talking about. I thought Arteta did a masterful job in the press conference yesterday. He was asked about the incident with Ramsdale twice. Mm. You know how how did what did he see the Ramsdale thing? How did it impact Ramsdale? Uh, how did it impact the 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 kind of the afters of the game? And like Arteta didn't miss a beat. He saw he said he saw a beautiful performance from Ramsdale. He mm. said he saw beautiful football. Um, they brought it up again later on. He says, I don't want to spe- spend one second taking away from the performance and the game today. Um, that's how, uh, there are certain things under our control. The British media is certainly not one of them. <clears throat> Clive's absolutely right. There's going to be a lot of that. What heartens me is how many of the, if you like, the thought leaders, your Jonathan Lewis, um mm-hmm. those kinds of, the people who should be listened and who will be listened to, by those who are open to hearing it they all get it they've had it they've mm. got it for some time i mean J- jesus even jamie redknapp waxing lyrical, pundit after pundit anybody uh, i'm not saying jamie <laughs> jamie redknapp's worth listening to but on the other hand any pundit worth listening to any pundit whose analysis you should be listening to gets that there's something going on here and you know that's the other side of it There. The people who are not for moving are not for moving, fuck them. Um, yeah. Anybody willing to look, think, see that something's going on? How many different versions have we heard of other supporters, other pundits looking at teams saying, you know, they really ought to consider doing an Arsenal as if it was that easy? You <laughs> know, just get a young manager and a bunch of young players. What could possibly go wrong? Um, so, but we always knew we were going to hear this once it started clicking. Why, why don't we just go and do an Arsenal? It ain't that yeah. easy, folks.
1: No, no, it absolutely isn't. And uh, a couple of bits and pieces, by the way, I think we should mention that the players who were at risk of being banned, for, not banned, but uh, suspended for the United game did not pick up a yellow. So not only did we go win the Derby away, we managed to keep those yellow cards away. Um, Gabriel picked up a dumb yellow, but he's fine. Because um, was, was it for dissent? I want to say, or time, 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 time wasting. I think time wasting. Yeah. Yeah. You could have done without that. Um, let, let's talk about a, a few of the funnier things, Tim, real quick, where comes on, uh, I believe around 71 minutes. Yeah. For Darty. And he did proceeds. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say proceeds to have one of the funniest cameos. I mean, he's on the touchline warming up. I don't know if you've seen the video. He's trying to, like, interfere with one of our throw-ins. And Tomiyasu just sticks an arm out to be like, no, no, we're about to throw the ball. And he, like, smacks it away. And then he's spiky all over the pitch. He plays like crap. He tries to start a fight with Ramsdale. Then after the match, he's like, I was just really upset with Martinelli and Gabriel, and I told them because they don't play. They they weren't playing. They were just trying to stop the game. Like, that's rich. Um, (laughs) I mean, Tim, you are our resident Brazil expert. In know in you in maybe three minutes or less what the hell is wrong with richarlison this guy is it, something is it just that he's stuck at spurs and he's miserable it, it could well be it
2: could well be he's gone from everton to spurs so you know some unhappy clubs i don't i, I actually i found this really useful because i've always before he went to spurs really warm to richarlison mm-hmm. um he does like a lot of good stuff for social causes in brazil and and things like that and uh but yeah on on the pitch, he's a bit of a dick but he <laughs> he was really wound up for this game and I don't know if it's you know he had like um it, it's because for Brazil at the moment like he's having a really good time he's on a scoring streak he's you know he's their number nine albeit the the coach has left now so things might get rearranged a little bit but But then he's gone to Tottenham and he's very much playing second fiddle to Son and Kane. He hasn't scored a Premier League goal yet. He had quite a good World Cup, but he was kind of injured before it. He went to it a bit injured, exacerbated the injury, so he hasn't been able to come back and like immediately get any of that momentum so I don't know if he's got some of that going on you know I imagine being an attacker in this in Antonio Conte team is quite frustrating anyway quite a frustrating experience son isn't isn't doing it at the moment either so I don't know I think I think there was a lot of that going around and yeah he was look he was just a dick and 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 that's kind of you know like I don't mind him like not taking Martinelli like Martinelli knew, you know, he was being a bit cheeky there as well. Cause he knows that Richarlison can't shake his hand in front of like all the Spurs <laughs> players and Martinelli was doing it to get a rise and he got one um, and all good. And yeah, like I'm sure there's a great picture of Ramsdale just about to kick the ball out, like kind of laughing at Richarlison, you know, all this stuff on the pitch, all fine, all fine. Even like, you know, slapping Tommy Asus. I mean, it was like, bit OTT but you know all fine but then for him to like cry about Ramsdale kissing the badge in front of the Spurs fans like come on mate like you got an FA charge last season for lobbying like a uh, what would you call it? Pyro. Like there was mm-hmm. Pyro on the pitch and he lobbed it back into the crowd. It's like you you literally got an FA charge for lobbing Pyro at your own supporters. <laughs> so like you really can't protect. Basically what happened was they got humiliated and he didn't like it. And he was just having a bit of a cry. That's what it, yeah. that's, all, that's all it was. And it, you, know, you know
1: what it reminded me of a little bit. Remember, I think when Chelsea humiliated Spurs a few years back late in the game and Spurs just lost their rag and started getting red cards and getting guys mm. sent off, like, cause they couldn't, they couldn't hang with them. And like, I I just don't know what it is about Spurs, but when they can't play the football to match, they try to match it with, with just losing their, losing their shit, you know, just yep. shit housing and fighting and complaining and crying. And like, there are so many funny little moments in this one. Um, I mean, first of all, just, Conte looking miserable. Any any image of Conte you can find, the guy looks like I- I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here! Like <laughs> that's literally what what's going on there. And Jonathan Liu, I, again, I think, deals with that brilliantly in his Guardian article.
3: Um, My favorite yep. Jonathan Liu line in that piece, unless I'm mixing pieces, but I don't think I am. He says something like, "Maybe this will get Daniel Levy over hiring managers who are convinced that they're they're too big for the club, they're too big yeah. for the club, and like hope there's not. something there." <laughs> I know yeah. it was all the announcing we're a bigger club now, but Mourinho thought he was better than the Spurs. Conte absolutely walks around like he's better than Spurs, mm-hmm. makes it clear in every comment he makes. Uh, to think I was so concerned that Conte would actually finally win them a trophy. Not a good one, because <laughs> that was never going to be happening. But, you know, something sad, a Carabao Cup or something like that. Of course, he's not very good at cup competitions, but like to think that... I thought he could get Conte to Carabao Cup winning level. Jesus! Uh, Just to heap some dirt on them,
1: by the way. Like you look at where they're at now. Son is done. Like Son is done. That that's over. He he has my famed age cliff has come for Son. Kane will get there soon. I don't know that he'll be staying this summer, but that's almost done. I don't know that they'll get Kulishewski full time. I don't know if you're Kulishewski if you sign with them. I think that's still alone right now. And Basuma's not working out, and Cessignon's not the answer, and you know Perisic is a million years old. Conte's going to go. It's it's a really big possibility that Spurs are heading down the shitter, and you know I'm absolutely here for it. Jed Spence, great call, Tim. He won't play him. He won't even play him, and you know, like careers are being ruined there. Eve Old players, yeah, yeah. I mentioned him. He he just doesn't look like he fits. It's all, um, yeah. It's he's all worth a mess. mentioning
3: twice, though. I mean, he's a great yep. player, and he's well, been destroyed.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, whatever qualities he has, they're not being taken advantage of by Spurs. I, so, well, Clive, a couple of things here. Firstly. I want to get to the how we finish games part of it, but can I just quickly get your thoughts on Nkedia? Because, like, I I loved this Nkedia performance. I, he just didn't find the back of the net. He did, there are two skills, and you know how, like, after the game, Twitter starts to find little moments and put the videos up? And they're usually things you maybe didn't notice. There's one he does by the touchline, the right touchline, where he absolutely kills a couple of guys with, a, with like, a rainbow flick. And then, for that, sh- he there's... There's a shot he drives straight at, um, at Loris. It's a bit tame. But to create the shot, Mar- I think Martinelli slides the ball to him, and he, he kind of clips it over the defender, and he's in. And it's, it's just a beautiful piece of skill. He had five shots inside the box, as I mentioned. They're a little too at the keeper in this case. Um, but, but, Clive, I, I think Eddie is growing into this role, and, and he deserves huge credit because the best thing you can say is we don't look a hell of a lot different. We kind of still look the same. He's getting the shots. The goals had been coming. They didn't come in this game, but that's okay. It can save him up for United. I think he deserves credit because there's a lot of people, myself included, who felt that the delta in quality between Jesus and Eddie might make it difficult for us to keep playing the football we want to play, and I was dead wrong about it. And he deserves He deserves a moment to be praised for that.
4: I thought his influence and impact on their back line was huge I thought he pinned them really well I thought he worked very very hard I thought he did well in the air and hey look we can all sit here and criticise the missed chances I'm, I'm not going to bother because football and missed chances shock we, we're going to be here forever mm-hmm. if we're going to do that and there was yes, Jesus t- does it <laughs> I, he took the words out of my mouth and I've been consistent <laughs> about this Jesus' impact and influence to us is massive okay his ball carrying is super elite right so we We haven't quite got that, but we've got a lot of the other stuff, a lot of the hard work, a lot of the pressing, a lot of the availability. That's very important. He's available in different ways, and I do like it sometimes when he just goes long. I really like that. You know, it's a different it's a different thing. Jesus doesn't really go long off first phase. He tends to want to post up a little bit more. Obviously, once he gets it, turns around. He's a he's a different animal, right? But Eddie every now and again will just go, I'm going long. And then, then he gets it and that stretches the pitch out, which I really, really like. It's a good release valve for us. I thought he really impacted that back line. No, I thought he he looked confident. He didn't look like a day tripper. You know, he looked like I'm here now. And that's a big thing. I'm here and I'm the Arsenal number nine and I'm going to do everything I can. And I'm going to now slot and rotate. If I lose the ball, I'm going to rotate into wide areas because someone's got to cover me. Do you know what I mean? And so he's now looking like a movable part within the system. And So yeah, I, I thought he had a very good go. I thought he's got increasingly better every single game. Right. So every game, it's just gone, it's just gone up a little half percentile. It's just gone up. And again, I thought it was his best game. You know, biggest in, biggest game, biggest environment away from home, it, it's just really getting better, right? And so um, the only thing which is obvious to all our front free is just. The- just run out of energy on 75. What do we do? Four-four-two block. We stand still and watch them play around us. And so we're managing our energy on the pitch. Now, me as a fan sitting at home on the set E, I would love us to change three fours or are equally as quick, equally as energetic, just run through that lot and stick five in the back of their net. That's what I want. Yeah,
1: you know, so, yeah um, that's the next piece. That's, yep. But that's
4: the next piece because I don't want them to break down with a fatigue injury, right? So, so if Smith throws on his way back, not there yet, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do to allow these guys to rotate when the, when the congestion comes? But yeah, I think Eddie's influence into us has improved, literally game six, by game.
1: Six months from now, though, think about a game like this where you're 2-0 up and it's 70th minute and the front line's fading and it's Encadia for Jesus and it's Smith Rowe for Martinelli. And that looks pretty good. I, I'm, I'm surprised Smith Rowe didn't come on earlier in this game. Clive, I, I, I guess the manager must feel he's just, he's not match fit yet. Fine, totally fair. Yeah. But I loved the Tierney sub. I really liked using him in that way. And I'm sure Kieran Tierney, his own pride maybe dinged a little bit at the thought of his role now being, you know, left winger sub to support Zinchenko a bit. But it works. His pressing is good. He can run hard, you know, up the wing and push players back. Like, I I like the way we finished it. So your your thoughts on, because to me, the front three looked shattered on about 70, 75 minutes. And that's the third game in a row I felt that. We don't have a way to change it right now. But I thought the Tierney sub was a, given the, the score, was, was a good way to try to approach it. But it, you can clearly see that we need more there.
4: Yeah, I think yeah, we def- do. Oh, sorry. Was so, that me? Sorry,
1: Clyde cl- for a second. Then, yeah, t- then.
4: Tim- oh, sorry. I wasn't sure, actually. Sorry, Tim. Um, yeah, it, it's obvious, earlier. It's, it, you know, it's obvious to you and all the listeners. We just need to, we need to add some energy there. I, I do agree with him not pushing Smith throw out. He's had his first game for since September, wherever he was. And, um, and then when you come back in that first game, you, no matter how hard you train, you do things to your body that he don't normally do. And then, so the next thing you do, you just you take them down, you taper them down a bit, and so it's, and then he can be a bit more of an effective sub as Manchester United with more training in the bank this week. We're all waiting for him, aren't we? We're all waiting to see that ball hit the back of net from one of his boots because we know that's a player added to the squad that we've just lost, and we just need we for me we need one more. But I'm going to say something to you guys now. Some of the chat Arteta's talking about Jesus is worrying me a little bit. When the initial Brazilian assessment came back as a three-month injury, that should have Jesus back by the end of Feb, I think, approximately. Someone will tell me if I'm wrong. There was a date thrown out there that I read online, so I absolutely believe it because it's on Twitter. It's February 25th. He'll be back. And, um, and suddenly, Arteta's speaking this week, and I'm thinking we're lucky getting back by Christmas. So I, I wonder what the true timeline is for that injury. And... You know, we're all going to be watching the transfer window to the end of the month, knowing that this is critical, but maybe we don't know by how critical this is. You know, and that's what I'm wondering Mm -hmm. about at the moment. As we sit here recording, I'm wondering what we're going to do and what's the real damage to Jesus.
1: Tim, you had some thoughts on on how we finish the game, how we... Yeah, and by the way, Clive, I, I tweeted it out and people didn't like it. It feels, the mood music around Arteta's Jesus updates feel a little bit grim and I'm a worrier, right? It's why my friends like Martin Odegaard call me whiskers. Um, But, you know, like, (laughs) uh, um, you know, we shall see, Tim, your your thoughts on that, how we finish the game and maybe what's needed to just give these, these, this front three, which works so hard, but fades late in my view, uh, the, the relief they need.
2: Yeah, I, I liked the Tierney sub a lot, and I can't remember which game it is now, but I really wanted it to, wanted us to do it in another game, maybe West Ham, just mm. because, I mean, particularly when we're leading, I think, you know, Martinelli, uh, sorry, Tierney on the left, I think it really works. Um, I, I don't know, like, if I'd do it if we were 1 0 down or needed a goal, maybe, maybe you just do like Tierney for Zinchenko and kind of go hell for leather a little bit. But the thing is with the way Martinelli plays on the left, Is that like he's kind of on his own out there. Um, And so I think you have to look at Martinelli, for example, in a very different way to the other players because all the other players, like don't get me wrong, Martinelli plays within the structure, but sometimes you have to have players that break that structure and do things to try to break that structure, like dribbling, like driving at players and doing those high risk actions, which Martinelli does. And when you do that, sometimes you're going to lose the ball and and things like that. I think he's getting a lot better at that anyway. Like I look at that Brighton game, I, I thought he was phenomenal. Like he he had well, the, the first goal for Saka doesn't go down as his assist because his cross takes a deflection. But I think like uh, spiritually, that's an assist. He gets an assist for Eddie and he scores himself. All of our open play goals in that game came from him. But I completely understand why people didn't think he played well, because he was doing lots of high-risk actions. So like he's different in the team because he has to do that stuff. And actually, I think Tierney is a decent analogue for that. I said earlier that like, I kind of don't like Tierney at left-back anymore because I've seen the future (laughs) with Zinchenko. But actually, in that position where hundred percent technical precision isn't quite needed in this. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's it's preferable, but just isn't like that. Role slightly different on the left wing for Arsenal. There's no overlap. Like that is one thing our left back does not do is overlap. And I think Paul's right about Xhaka. Right? I my suspicion is teams have cottoned on a little bit to Xhaka being the underlap. That's what mm-hmm. happens. Martinelli stays wide, and Xhaka underlaps him. And yeah. yep. a couple of months ago, Xhaka was hitting the back of the net a lot. Because lots of teams, I think teams know that's going to happen now, and so yeah, Martinelli is like a try and get him isolated against the fullback. Try and get him to beat the fullback, and he won't do it every time because it's a really difficult thing to do. And actually, I think Tierney, particularly in the late part of a game, he's another like structure breaker, as it were. He like I think he's not really our fullback anymore because that's a structural role. But, yeah. like, coming on in the left foot, I'm not saying I'd start him there or anything, but I, I guess a little bit like I felt about Tavares last season. Like, I felt like Tavares could have been used in that role last 20 minutes. Come on, particularly when the game's a bit chaotic. Maybe we're leading and there's chances on the counter, or Tien is great at pressing teams into that corner flag. I, I think potentially a really good finisher there um you know pressing teams back towards their corner flags not letting them get out and just having that little burst of energy it doesn't have to be the burst of energy that means he beats three players and sticks it in the top corner but I, I think potentially like a, a good game finisher in on the left wing and I, I hope we see more of it until we obviously buy another winger
1: yeah yeah for, for the record you talk about you know managing the end of the game. I, I do think it's interesting that Tommy is the sub for Zinchenko, right? And, and Tierney is the sub for the forward. You, you make a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about our left fullback does not overlap at all. And so Martinelli's role is a little different. He has to take on two guys, right? He doesn't have the player who's going to take a, take a defender away from him. Um, he's going to be the more direct provoking player. And saka has got a little more variety to the way he can, he can choose what he wants to do, whether he wants to play the overlap to white, or he wants to cut inside. Um, I thought we managed the game really well. I want to call that out. Eddie went to the corner flag once, right? We're not seeing the dumb stuff shot from 35 yards in the 88th minute. You know what I mean? Players were going over and winning fouls that we, we weren't doing the dumb stuff that we did once upon a time, right? Just manage game poorly. I can think back to the bad old days of, you know, Ebue giving away penalties in the 109th minute. You know, we've got, we've got a long painful history of doing some dumb stuff. This team, I think Arteta hasn't just coached them to play football. It has coached them to be really thoughtful. And a big part of that is the man that he's chosen to be captain, Paul. Whatever he is as a footballer, and he may be the best player in the league right now, he is a tremendous leader of men. You know, for the record, the only current player to show up at the art event the other night was Martin Odegaard. That's not a knock on any of the other players. He gets what it means. He gets it. He gets what it means to show up, to be there. And when I was interviewing, what did, what did he say? I'm so, pr- I appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight. There's a humility, and, an, and, and even if you're like, well, that's false humility, he gets it. He gets that he's a part of something that extends beyond just going in and scoring goals. I think the fact of the matter is, He represents the club with that kind of class and dignity that you want. He clearly is beloved by his players. He has that ice-cold composure in his veins. And, oh, by the way, some players crumble when you put that captain armband around them because it's too much for them to handle. His game has gone up a level with the responsibility. I'm massively impressed by the level that he has added. I thought he could be good. I don't think I I knew he could be this good both as a leader and as a player.
3: Yeah, you see, part of the reason... He was the right man is think of who Arteta was when he was our captain. He was presented himself professionally, immaculately. Mm -hmm. Um he wasn't like there are many kinds of captains. In many ways, Martin Odegaard is the closest thing we have to what how Mikel Arteta sees the captaincy. Um he has a he has a Chaka for the heart, he has the Gabriel Jesus for the guts. But he has Martin Odegaard for the clarity, the professionalism, the way of presenting the club to the outside world. Um, his interview afterwards was totally on message, totally uh, not something mundane, wrote off a script. He was able to say where we're at, that things are good, that we need to stay focused, we need to stay humble. He means it. He's clear, he's crystal. On the pitch, he's the guy. Uh, who totally keys when we press, how we press. When he goes, everybody goes with him. It's not going to be a wasted press. Everybody knows that they can push up. The centre-backs know that they can push up high up the pitch because when we go, we go. Um, He's intelligent. He's so switched on. We lose the ball. Like You see it with so many players, and I never really understand it. We lose the ball. Their heads drop for a second or half a second. Odegaard's never takes his eye off the play and the ne- losing the ball is just the next step to getting the ball back in a better position he never blinks he's always scanning always looking the other thing i notice about him is he doesn't scan when he thinks he's going to get the ball he scans when the next guy is going to get the ball from the f- from the first guy um he's always looking for who's where and what comes next um he's probably quite uh close to that norwegian uh, press, uh, pro, uh, sorry, chess prodigy because he plays football like a chess match. He never drops his concentration, never stops thinking about the next move. And he keys the press, which is so integral to us keeping control in these games. Um, and his work rate, talking about guys who who get a little tired after 60, 65, 70, you don't look at him and think, oh, he's going to be this uh, physical colossus. But what a feckin' engine. And that's physical and mental. He's on it all the time. Uh, There's Jan Agafjort. Sorry, Elliot, if I can interrupt you while mm. I'm talking. Um, Jan Agafjort uh, (laughs) talked about the history lesson of Martin Odegaard. And he talked about how when Pep was at Bayern, he tried to get Odegaard to come from Real Madrid. Rather than go to Real Madrid to come to Bayern, he said he wanted to make him the best player in the world. Um, Well... Imagine how many conversations Arteta and Pep will have had about Martin Odegaard along the way. He knew what he was b- buying beyond the loan period. He knew the quality of the guy and why he wanted him in his club.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, right? Because I can't, I think we were burned a little by Mesut Ozil. And so I think there were some people who just naturally made the lazy comparison between Ozil and Odegaard, right? Like a, a creative player that plays between the lines. And is he going to fancy it on the tough days? He's, but they're not analogous there is a steal to Odegaard's game and Odegaard's approach that, that, that I don't think was always in Mesut game, at least not for us. But my, my point is now we're at a point I can't envision a scenario where the club and the the fans aren't unified in their support of Martin Odegaard. It's been a long time since we had a captain like that. You know, it's been a very, very long time since we had a captain that just sort of united everybody in, in feeling it was the right choice of the person to represent us. Let's wrap up with just this a little bit, Clyde, the joy of it, right? Like, here's the problem because we're in a title hunt now, because we really are title favorites. Probably you don't get to stop and enjoy this. You have the risk of being like, what's next. It's United up next. Are we going to win the title? Who are we going to sign? What are we going to do to get? And like, I want to make sure that we take a deep breath and just enjoy beating the piss out of Tottenham on their ground. Um, You know, winning, winning, doing the double over Tottenham and almost, almost certainly confirming there will be a St. Tottenham's day this season because Every single game this season when we win it is just going to be another step towards a title. And m- many people listening may not even really be alive the last time or, or weren't that we're alive, but not. Arsenal supporters weren't old enough to even watch football when we genuinely had a, a, our last, well, when we won the last title. Let's put it that way. Are you able to just stop for a minute, take a beat, not think about United, not think about the title, and just enjoy doing the double over Spurs and, and winning the Derby away?
4: Yeah, you come to the wrong person, mate. That's not how I'm built. I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, You're built different.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> You're thinking United. You're thinking, I'm, who do we sign I'm, next? Where do I'm we go thinking
4: next? United. I'm thinking everything that we've all spoken about today has taken a while to be here. Which, what we're saying is the players and the manager, the people that really do the stuff on the grass, have been pretty good. Right, We've only dropped points in three games all season. In credible points accumulation and the style by which it's been done has got us all pairing right so so now i'm afraid the on-pitch team have done the job now the off-pitch team have got to do their job the off-pitch team have got to support this squad and and they really do and mm-hmm. um, because well said. that's the only thing left and if they do that with the right with the right movements with the right signings or Mikel can squeeze something else out of this group and and Kieran Tini is, is is an example of that. Um can squeeze something that we that we can't see and maybe didn't see beforehand. But I can't see many more of those. And um so we need to do a little bit. And if we do, and it's and I will say can you imagine all the young players watching that game yesterday which club in England do you want to come and play for? You know, I, I just, what we tend to forget is that probably the club is inundated with player options today. with agents calling them in with, it's just like they're probably swamped because they know there's a players smell it. Chinchenko said last year, I could smell something was at Arsenal mm-hmm. last season. Players smell it. They want to be where the going is good. And so that's the thing that's in my mind right now. What are you going to do next? What type of person is going to be? We all saw the unity on the pitch after the game. Well, who can I add to this group and, and continue to what we're all feeling? And I, that's where my head is, mate. And plus I'm looking forward to Sunday cause I'll be there and I can't wait. I can't wait.
1: Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Here's what I will say. We're going to do a rewatch. So if, if you want to join us on Patreon, you can rewatch it and recelebrate it again. I hope you'll, I hope we will all, read every article, listen to every podcast, watch every video, watch every Spurs video. Just just soak it up. Winning the derby away, doing the double over Spurs, it, it is a moment to be savored. 2014 is the last time we won at Spurs. Mikel Arteta was on the pitch that day. Mikel Arteta managing us now to being title favorites. And yes, you have to look forward. If you're Mikel Arteta, you can't let the, the players soak it up. You've got to be looking forward. You've got to be looking forward to United. But we, we as supporters have to, we got to balance it. We got to look forward to what's ahead, hope for the title. But somehow, make sure you, you make fun of a Spurs fan this week. Make sure you take the piss out of a Spurs supporter. Make sure you give it large on social media. Make sure you really do all the things that are incumbent upon you as an Arsenal supporter to rub their noses in it, to make sure they see the gap in quality, and to understand that they are in the mud. Do
4: it respectfully, of course. Yeah, and also don't cross send, the line.
1: No ad hominem.
4: And also send comps my way. <laughs> I send love a the comp. comps.
1: <laughs> send the meltdowns. Enjoy the moment. North London is red. Yeah, uh, I've made a lot of bad life decisions, and not staying in London for this one is one of them. Uh, but I feel pretty good that I've chosen a decent game in Bournemouth at home at the end of February, uh, beginning of March. That one, that one feels like one that I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping to have a good, uh, good experience with. So. We'll see how that goes. Uh, we'll leave it there. We'll have the rewatch out for you tomorrow on Patreon. Then we'll have another main pod obviously coming up later on in the week. And if there's any transfer rumor stuff that breaks, we'll do stuff around that as always. Thanks to Tim who's on Twitter. Soberto. Uh, no, nope, nope, nope. Still later. Thank you, Tim. Yep.
2: yep. My pleasure as always.
1: Paul's on Twitter, Pause My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PfC. Thanks, Clive.
4: Thank you very much.
1: By the way, if you want more of these just sort of drunken, joyous reactions, we do have the instant reaction over on Patreon as well. So you got a lot of different ways to consume this uh, historic moment. It is a historic moment. I think in, uh, in Scott's latest model, we're up to 57% for the title. It's getting pretty serious. Beat United at home next weekend. And uh, Gary Neville's going to have to shut the hell up. That's for sure. All right, everybody, enjoy it. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. United, no.